Um, my name's Cindy. I'm close over either. I um, was thinking when I pulled up that my sister had fixed me up and fixed my husband for me. Thank God. And um, on my own, I, I didn't have a, a chooser button at work. So when he was coming to the door, I didn't want him to meet my parents. I didn't want him to see my mom, who was extremely obese. I didn't want him to meet my dad, who was like really extremely blunt. And I was embarrassed. And so I, I haven't eaten at my sister's house. And she was saying to me, you know, don't talk about your bulimia. Don't talk about the times you've had to go to so many places for help. Don't talk about how you've been divorced. Don't talk about how all you do is come to my house and play with my kids every day. And don't do that. And she's going down the list, you know. And the doorbell rings and she says, now, Cindy, <laughs> and that is exactly what happened. I'm, I'm giving you exactly. And, and at the time, she didn't even know how funny that was, just that she went down the list. So here in this environment, it's okay to tell everything. It's been a hard thing for me to learn that, that we, don't, we don't share all of our stuff everywhere. Um, so I, I'm thinking that the description I can come up with of, of the disease for me was when I had an assignment to go to um, the LA Zoo for my teaching credential. And I had to do writing from the perspective of these animals. It was so interesting assignment. And I was actually one of the people that really went to the zoo. Like, I, I did what they say. And um, I got to this little display of, of a glass enclosure. And there was a, this little tiny monkey. And it was just circling, and it was circling. And then it would stop, and it would just stare at the door. And then it would circle, and it would circle, and it would stop, and it would stare at the door. And, and I went to someone who worked there, and I said, well, why is he doing that? What's going on? And they said, he's waiting for his food. And that, I thought, was the most identified trap in just looking at the door, waiting for the food. When is the door going to open? Because I've got to get it. i got to have it. It's, it's everything. Um, I was... 14 years old when I was hospitalized from an abusive boyfriend, and I looked a lot older at 14 than I was, and I um, had much older boyfriends. And when I was hospitalized, I shared with my parents what was happening in this relationship. And then when we came home, I gained 30 pounds in 30 days. And it was from that point at, at 14 years old on that that food became the only safe place that I wasn't going to be physically or mentally or emotionally abused. And it became a nightmare in my family and my, my seeing me gain 30 pounds in 30 days. My, my parents, I needed help, but, but I didn't, you know, really know. And, they said, we'll give you um, whatever you want if you'll just lose the weight. And we'll, we'll buy you wardrobes and we'll get you on any vacation. And I, and I went on, at 14 years old, I went on those um, pregnant women urine shops. And I couldn't, and I would do it. I was, I was able to do it for a little bit, but then I couldn't do it anymore. And I would just be crying all the time because I wanted to stop, but I couldn't stop. And I wanted to change and it can change. And the pain of this disease, I feel like it robbed my soul and my childhood and my chance of, 
of joy. And my, I, I was such a confused person. I didn't know where I belonged. I just, all I knew was that I wanted whatever my sister had. That's all I could identify with. So, you know, she, she went to school in Arizona, so I went to school in Arizona. And she became a teacher, so I became a teacher. And um, she married a lawyer. She picked my husband. I married a lawyer. Like, I just, honestly, I just didn't have a clue of what, of what I was or what I wanted or how I felt. And it food was the comfort and the, and the coding that helped me. And um, she had a little blue and white house in Beverly Woods, so I had a little blue and white house in Beverly Woods. You know, like, in every way. She had only sons. I have only sons. Um, every way. Like, even things beyond my control still worked out to be following her. And... I didn't, I didn't have a, um, I was so uncomfortable out in the world that if I was ever going to be intimate with men, that I had to binge first. And then I had to binge after. And, and I would say, I'll be like that, there's something I need to go get at 7-Eleven. And I would get in my car. The thought that someone found me attractive, wanted to be with me, was impossible for me to process. That it couldn't be right. It couldn't be right. And I would do very self-destructive things and attract very destructive characters in my life. And um, and it lasted so many years. It really did. It was like a, a good ten years of my life that every every relationship was, was abusive. And um, at one point with my first sponsor and we had gotten through the steps, um, I mentioned something about the hospitalization and, um, and she said, we just did your fifth step. You didn't say anything about any of that. And I, it, was, it was like, I didn't even have a consciousness of resentment. It was so closed down. It was so put away, so very deep, that it, it just came up as a mention. And not even in my inventory, just in the conversation. And she said, you need to do an abuse inventory. And I'm going to say that's the hardest one I've done in this program. That, that, that was specified for me from the ages of very young to, to the last of the abuse and, and facing it. And um, when it comes to our part, it's the, for me, it was holding on to a story and not releasing it. And that way it was constantly being, being brought back into my life. And um, I came to OA when I was 21 years old. I'm 52 now. And I didn't, I didn't get anything. I just didn't get anything. I, I walked in there and talking about God and I was all creepy and, um, and but, but I, I got enough of a seed that I wanted to keep, keep visiting, you know. So for almost 25 years, I came in and out and off and on. And, and I, um, I, one year, one year, after I got divorced, I was 21 years old, I ran away from my parents. And, and when I came home, I was only dating um, black men and lesbians. <laughs> no, really, I, I, when I'm telling you, I had no idea. So I was married to someone with really Catholic family, really religious. I come from a Jewish background. And there were crosses everywhere in the house. And I was always feeling like Jesus was staring at me. I was just, like uncomfortable in this house and it was so hard for me. And now I'm married to into an Orthodox Jewish family. I mean, I just, that's my life was just going from one thing to another and it's only been through programs that I've gained a self and an identity and a no that doesn't work for me or no I don't really have to be my sister and and get confident and get self loving and um and it's a really hard thing because I think that 
been extremely addicted all my life to self-loathing and to um, guilt and character defects that just tormented me. I was just a very tormented and, um, and tortured soul. And I know my, my disease was always about getting the creamiest things that I could. And I've never heard anyone share in meetings, but this is, I used to pour heavy whipping cream on my cereal tonight. Like, you can't get much more fat than that. And that would be breakfast. That was just breakfast to get out the door. And, and my concoctions and inventions and things that were as creamy and sweet and sugary as I could possibly make them. And then I just still didn't feel safe out there, you know, no matter what I did. Um, in college, I didn't leave my room. I, like, I would go to my classes, and I would just stay in my room. And my best friend would go out to these parties and come back and visit me and tell me about that world out there. That if I went out there, something bad would happen. I would find the biggest asshole in the room, and that was going to be my next boyfriend. So I kind of knew it's best to not go. It's best, you know, the safer. And everything was always about just keep it safe, keep it, keep it okay, you know. And um, and to to go, it, it's still hard. I have to tell you, socially and and outside world, like I'm really comfortable around eight years old kids and people with eating disorders. That's that's where I'm comfortable. And if I come here, I don't feel that weird. I don't feel that unusual. I'm, I can tell you the truth. Nobody's going to be horrified. It's, you know, it's the only place ever that I can come in and tell 100% truth. Um, and I do want to say, I don't know why it's just popping in my head, but I can't believe I'm going to tell you. But, but I, a week ago yesterday, I weighed myself every Friday. And I, and I weighed myself, and I was really upset. It wasn't the number I wanted. Shocking, right? So, and so, and I went in front of my full-length mirror in my bedroom, and I was staring at myself going, you look fine. You're just, you get over it. You're fine. And I got my camera from my cell phone. And I took a picture of myself in the mirror, and I texted it to my husband. And if you, I'm that's so out of character for me. I mean, I mean, so beyond out of character. And my husband was laughing so hard. He was like, he was just belly laughing. He couldn't believe that I did it. And I thought it was the first time in my life that I was like, but this is who I am, and it's okay. It's not. I have this fantasy that that won't leave me alone of who I should be. And that I should look like that, like Hollywood women. But even with my genetics, it's not even possible at my tennis weight that I could look like that. But that's the ideal I thought I should be, and nothing was ever good enough. And and I would um, always kept, even in absence, because I have seven years, um, I always kept, I still had dessert. And just a little bit, you know, that's my grandma was very decent, she always to carry plates. She just looked like. And, and that's how I love the dessert. I was like, I just want a little bit. And I'd, I'd have a little bit throughout the day. And at one point, my sponsor said, this is still a form of suicide. And you're still killing your spirit. Because if I have sugar, I get severe depression. Severe. Terrible. I don't even want to live anymore depression. And she'd say, don't you see the connection here? That when you eat that, you get that. And it it took it really it took six years and ten months for me to stop 
all the risks. And the depression is listed. It's, I'm, I'm just neurotic and you crazy, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm functionally um, okay. And the things in the world that have been so hard in this program is carrying a higher power beyond the moon. Because I feel it here. There's no question in my mind that people's lives have changed, that they are miracles, that there is hope. But I don't know how to keep that when I'm not with you. And so when we would go on vacations, I would be constantly emailing or writing or texting somebody in the program because leaving LA was so scary to me. Like, it, like we were just going to fall off the earth, you know. And I, we were taking a, a driving trip, and on the map, we were going to go to San Francisco, and on the map, it went to Carmel, and then my husband had to turn the map over to go to San Francisco, and I said, we can't go out with that map. <laughs> no, we can't. That, that's as far as I'm able to go. And we went to Carmel, because I, I wasn't okay with turning the map over. Like, this is the fear of leaving home, of being uncomfortable, of being scared. You know, and then God left him. He's like, oh, come out fine. You know, whatever you want, I don't care. And the, the insanity still is that wanting to be safe, um, wanting to feel comfortable, and finding a higher power to, to help me. And in the beginning, I chose Bill Brenner from McKinney and I. I thought he was just magnificent and gorgeous. But he was scary, and I still connected God with fear. And if I thought of God, I would think of those who shall live, who shall die, who by flood, who by fire, and I'm thinking, it's all going to be me. It's all going to be me. I'm getting it because I'm this, like, despicable human being. And the fear of God was so great that I, when people would even talk about a loving God, I think, you know, God, God can get you, you know, and punish. And that's how I saw God. So this is why it took me 25 years to, to develop a program. Because my, I couldn't even imagine giving your life and your will to something that's scary. So in my other program, she said, well, write, write, write a letter, you know, to God. And I, and I wrote, dear God, give me whatever I want or fuck off. <laughs> And I brought it to her, and I said, that was my letter. She said, I, I, said, I wrote God. And, I, and, and, and she said, it's a start. And I, to this day, cannot hear God without that, even though I hear it all here. So what I found worked for me was angels. I don't feel any kind of fear from the thought of an angel. I don't feel they're going to hurt me. I don't feel they're there's any negative. I just I can only see love and positive and kindness and support and and being there. Because short of a magic lamp, which is what I really wanted, was that I make the wish and you grant the wish. And if you don't grant the wish, then what are you here for? So it was a real problem to try to become close to that connection. So there are angels that help me with my jealousy I've, I've had a lot. Um, forgiveness of self, the guilt that I feel because my, I was really negligent with my two sons um, when they were babies, and I still feel really guilty. They're, they're 17 and 22, and they don't have diaper rashes anymore, and I still, but they did because of my neglect, and that guilt, that, that pain that I was, I wasn't going to be able to do this. I just, when we were bringing my son home from the hospital, and I was talking to this little newborn baby in the car, I was like, you know, I'm going to give you such a good life, and I was talking to them, and, and my husband said, you know, you still need to take care of me, too. 
And I remember in the car thinking, I, I'm not going to be able to do this. I can't, I can't do this. I was able to be married and working, but the needs of a baby and that their entire dependency is on me doing it. Like, this poor child, I was like apologizing to a newborn baby. Like, I'm so sorry you got me. I'm so sorry. And I, I remember going to the doctor's office and filling out the phone and I was filling it out in my, excuse me, in my name. It's like I'm going, oh, wait a minute, this isn't about me. What I'm telling you about in his name. Like, it's just, it was so hard for me. And I was looking at him and think, where's your mother? Like, where is she? I just didn't have a connection to, to a mom. Um, and I felt extreme guilt for the feelings I had. Like, I have to tell you that when my father died, I felt relief. That's the truth. I just felt like, oh. I don't have to feel bad that we weren't close. I don't have to feel bad that I didn't talk to him. We, we were uncomfortable around each other. I felt so relieved. And it will be true with my mom, even with broken. I'm very good to her and I'm very supportive, but I don't have closeness. I don't have, I don't really like her. Um, and and I'm more in program accepting of that. Um, I know it's not the ideal. I hear people say that it's all been lifted and that they're close with their parents and. But what I feel is the recovery is that I can just do the right action, whether I feel it or not. So when my mom is sick, I, I stay in the hospital and I sleep in the bed next to her. And, and I think if I were mom, that's as good to get. But when you wake up, you're not alone. And at one point while we were in the hospital, I said, I really want to go to the gym. And it was just enclosed in the space. I said, I need to go look out. And she Please don't go. Please stay with me, please. And in my head, I was thinking, you were nowhere in my childhood. How dare you ask me to give up my... And I, and I really lovingly said, I need to do this. And I will be back. And it was just... It wasn't... Inside, I had that rage. Inside, I had that anger. But I, I was still able to set a boundary, be loving. I go to the gym. I came back. She was fine. It was fine. But that... That discomfort of I want to I want to love you but I don't I don't and I, and I I learned love from my mother-in-law that's where I learned it of of kindness of of giving of helping asking for nothing in return and I am hers every Saturday night whatever she wants wherever she wants to go whatever she wants to do she taught me love and she taught me to be just without asking for anything to just be of service, to be kind. I'm telling you, I would be at school, my kids would be sick, she'd go pick them up, she'd pick them up. She'd do everything and never, ever say, you know, an ounce of, of guilt or, or expectation of anything. And, and I wrote her a four-page letter of how much I love her and how much I learned from her and how I will, I will be able to move forward and when I'm gone, there will be, my kids will remember that kind of love. And if you get that love, it doesn't have to just be from your parents. It just doesn't. It, it comes when you're open to receiving it. So it started with weight. Um, it still had a very strange relationship with the scale, with food, with um, my size. My sponsor said, she said, I don't have experience with this. You, you really should let other people know and talk to people about it because my husband calls the scale my mood indicator. You know, that, that if it's good, it's wonderful. If I, if I gain two pounds, I'm like, hey, I'm just 
it's horrible. And I don't have the, the, the clarity of its importance that it can just make things so, um, so extreme. So coming from once taking lactose and diuretics up to 30 and 40 a day, and my husband eight years ago saying, I made a mistake marrying you. This isn't what I came in for. Coming from that and being suicidal to now having a beautiful marriage. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's just amazing. And then my son, who I would take sleeping pills right after dinner. Like, I just wanted the world to turn off. I just wanted it off. And so I would see them take sleeping pills and crash in my bed. And my husband would come home. And my little son would be shaking and trying to get me to wake up. And I wouldn't wake up. And, and they, they still have recovery from that. They don't. So my son sent me a text that said, just want to let you know, you raised me so well. I literally loved my childhood. Mm-hmm. 17 years old. And then he wrote, happy Wednesday. Mm-hmm. At 17 years old. And I just blows my mind the forgiveness, the kindness, because the part that I have from programs is that it gets to seep into those relationships. And if I hadn't come to you, I was suicidal. I don't think I'd be alive by now. I was hoping at that time, I was hoping I wouldn't wake up. I kept increasing them. I was up to eight a night. And I just was hoping at some point I won't have to be in the life I'm in. Because, and it's so weird because I have the same home, the same husband, the same two kids at the same job. Nothing in my life changed. But, but I changed. And I, I have such um, clean living with them. And I don't have a big mess to clean up very often. And I have a sponsor who um, is, I met her at this meeting. She was sharing, and I knew she would be my sponsor. I absolutely knew it. And um, she is able to communicate without being a martyr or a victim or an assailant. And that is what I didn't know how to do. And I will not, I get to send out nasty letters. If you've got one of my letters, it will turn. And you, and you know what? Nothing ever got solved by those letters. All they would say is, if you get a letter from Cindy, don't even know. It's going to kill you. I mean, it would be venomous. And I, I sent it to my mom. I sent it to my sister. I sent it to all the people who hurt me. And, and even the program. My sponsor made an agreement with me that I am absolutely never to send out a letter until she reads it. <laughs> Ever. Because I'll still have that, you know, you. Yeah. Who is you? And just, yeah. And that, you know, like, and, and then it's the, Dead to me. You're dead to me. I mean, it's like, oh my God. You know, and it's just, it's just like their life is going to change. Is this how it goes? Well, I really want to keep spending my life. So worth it. You know, I, I lost everybody. I mean, my husband stayed, my kids stayed, but I lost people because I didn't have any skills on how to how to shed a boundary or how to not overgive. So, okay, it's my time. Thank you so much for letting me know. Okay, this is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. 
If you do need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. And also, please remember the opinions of the leader are my own, and not those of our leaders and leaders as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Oh, yes. After the, oh my God. It's after the seventh position. Sorry. Oh, no, no, no. Do I pick someone under the seventh position? Wait. Twelve. I'm Wendy, Professor Reader, Galenic. One, our common relegation comes first, personal separation on OAUD. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants, they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, accepting matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry the message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, every group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise for problems of money, property, or converted from a primary purpose. Seven, every, every OA group ought to be fully self supporting to finding outside contributions. Eight, overeaters and non should remain forever non professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OAS funds must never be organized, but we may create service boards and committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, overeaters and non with no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn to other controversies. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. And we always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to take Sorry, I get so nervous and shaky, I didn't even see that. Okay, so now it's time for questions. You know, sharing at this meeting, share if you need to master with one of us. Remember the opinions of the leader are my own, not those of overeaters anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Um, please, I'll repeat the question for the reporters. Any questions? Casey. Hi. Yes. Thank you. Um, thank you very much. Um, I have to go over the details anyway. But, uh, <laughs> 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 I have a question. Because I've got a different situation of what I do with the scale that worked for me for many years now. Mm-hmm. You're aware of your, you know, ambivalence relationship with the scale, or at least how much power it has. Yeah, but I assume you've given it much thought and you seem very thoughtful. Could you explain how you came to the decision to weigh yourself once a week? Um, my sponsor weighs yourself once a week. I, I didn't know what to do, because it worked for a while where I didn't weigh at all. And then it became, if I overate, I had to know how much damage I did. It becomes like, that was a big dinner. I'll think I'm obese now. I'm huge. I became 10 pounds. And I'll go to the scale to see that's not true or that is true. And I'll need to know. So the, the real answer of recovery would be, which I'm not telling you I have in any way, would be that if I'm really clean with the food, the scale doesn't matter. It's going to be whatever it's going to be. I always, when I was younger, I wanted to weigh 110. Never did. Now that I'm 52, I want to weigh 120. I weigh 131. 
I don't think it's good enough. I still think I should be saying but I, I can bet you if I got to 120, I'd say I want to win 100%. So I, I don't know how yet. I don't have a peaceful relationship with it yet. I don't. I'm hoping I will. But I, I promised I made an outreach call um, and I, I made a commitment saying I'm not going to weigh myself before next Friday. So it's still big, it's really hard for me. Carol. How do I work my program on change? Well, as you can see, I don't I don't change a lot, having everything the same. So I change so slowly and it is so subtle that it's not too um it's not scaring me. Change is really, really scary. And when somebody says that they came in and they got abstinent that day and they never had sugar in my flour again. I, I can't even imagine this took me decades. So, since change is so slow for me, it's, it's not, um, I think what's hard, Carol, is when I'm happy, it makes me afraid. Mm-hmm. I'm scared. Like, I don't think I'm, yeah, you're not really allowed to go there. That's, you know, keep on the program, keep trying, but don't get too cocky kind of thing. So, I, I I'm not like open to change. I'm still very scared and tense. And then I can my sponsor will say, "She's worked for me five years." She said, "But you do get there. It's just it happens so gradual that it's not as painful because I find change just painful." Um, and the fear that I had of losing my husband or my kids was so extreme that I had to get help. Because I thought I, I I can't be on this planet if they're not here, and that's a really scary setup. So um, I'm thinking that that would be the biggest change I'd be afraid of is loss. Um, I'm not so structured, you know. The bell rings for three steps. The bell rings for one. But that's how I live. Um, to change that would be really really tough. Did I answer your question? Breathe. Um, you talk about how you are, um, you use the people in the program and the meetings, and, and that's really helpful. But then when you leave, you kind of feel like you don't have that, that, that you use them as your higher power. But now you introduce angels into your life. Right? Can you share a little bit more how that kind of works for you to help you navigate and feel better? This is life-saving for me because there are physical, and I got it from one of my sponsees who's in the room. I got my hair powered through my sponsee who had these angel cards that are only informing and loving and kind and only positive messages, and that's all I need to hear because I have negative, dark, angry thoughts that scare me. So I brought yesterday when I was nervous because my sister signed her big 60th birthday party and was in this big posh hotel and very shows and I took up work and it's really exciting fun. I was very nervous about the food. And I brought the angel cards, and I sat with them, and I talked, saying, please help me get through this meal so that I don't hate myself at the end of it. And I, at parties, I get so uncomfortable so that I, the food will give me that, that wall between me and them. And so it's still, I'd rather, 
Now, I just want everyone to invite me to a party that I don't like friends. <laughs> but I want to be popular. I want you to want me to come to the party. But then I'll be there and I'll be a wreck, you know. Because like my husband will go to a party and say, do you have a dog or a baby in the house? And he will find me in a corner with a dog or a baby. And that's what I do at the party. And if there's no dog or baby, I've got angel cards. I've got to talk to them and I text my sponsor from a party. I'll make a phone call. It's hard. But they work. They absolutely work if I'm willing to work that. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not, and I want to have that interest, then I'm serious. Um, I have a question. You mentioned that your part in a lot of relationships was kind of creating a movie and a story. Right. Like how, what was the next step in your kind of... It's still happening because the story is a broken record. So the question I'm supposed to ask the question that I was... Um, constantly being abused and what was my part of keeping the story and how have I stopped keeping that story. Um, it's only through programs that I even see that I have a new story. And if I don't come back to a meeting, I revert to the old one of being the victim and being abused and being afraid. So I don't have this like super strength um, at all. I have to say the one thing, the biggest thing lately is that I always wanted to be one of those women that like went to yoga. I just thought that was cool. But I didn't think I was good enough, I didn't think I was thin enough, I didn't think I was worthy enough. And and I I'm I'm so into it. I am so into it and I feel powerful and excited and and I don't look I don't look like that one and I don't look like that one and it doesn't matter. And in that room everyone's just trying to do it and they're so hard because this is what I'm saying. They're so hard but I'm trying and I so I think changing my story is doing something like that. Taking a picture and sending it to my husband. That's a brand new story, you know? So it's and that's change is really changing the story is really tough. But that's that's been the biggest one because I thought I was going to Yes. Renee. Do you pray every day with your spiritual I pray every day, I, as you can imagine, with my brain and my shaky body, how hard meditating is. Um, yoga is a form of meditation, so I'm going to cheat and say I do. But actually sitting um, completely still, and in yoga, they'll say just stay in your breath. I still just go, what does it mean? I still have trouble because this is always like going, going, going. But um, pray for sure, meditate on that as um, I think that's the result I wanted to be. I did. For a while, I was doing it every morning. I'd wake up home and go, and I didn't see this big, huge change. And I'd say, yeah, we'll get to it later. So I still, it's still there. I still think I need to do it. But I, I want a result, you know. And, and that's the problem with my escape tendency. I want a big payoff. So every night um, I send my sponsor A E I O U, my abstinence of what I ate, my exercise of how much I did, um, what I did for myself, which is now I'm learning is only program wise. What did I do for myself in my program? Um, what did I do for others? And what did I uncover? And, and if I Oh, and I tend to stay in my classroom all day and keep very enclosed. And I and I pray during the social night at night and I read literature and so I'm 
I still sort of cocooned by having to do much kind of stuff because I'm not with a lot of people all the time. Um, I certainly have to make amends in my classroom repeatedly um, and write that second and say that was really mean what I said and I'm sorry. Um, but I don't have a lot of huge tense stuff, but I write every night to my sponsors the truth and nothing but the truth. And then in the morning, um, I find out what I might need to be doing that day. Um, she might say, you need, you need to write a letter to scale. Um, you need to um, write a letter to your sister-in-law to your stepless, but we're not going to send it. You're going to write it and you share it with me. And if you send it, we're going to totally revise it. So I get to send her, but what I wish I could send, and that still helps. Because you want to know that you're feeling they're valid. It's okay that you're angry, but I wasn't ever, it was never okay. So um, that's what I tried to do every day last night, and it wasn't working. So that's why we did it last night. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I was raised by somebody who was very angry and screamed and yelled a lot. And, uh, and I was angry that I was getting screamed and yelled at. Mm-hmm. And so you maybe mentioned that your husband eight years ago said that he wanted out. And what do you do? How did it change from eight years ago to where it is now specifically? Mm-hmm. And what do you do? Because like, my wife gets angry. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's a reason. But it is, it's legitimate. And so instead of getting angry back, you know, I'm learning other communication techniques. Mm-hmm. What do you do? If you, I came from a very raging father. It terrified me. Um, I think, first of all, because my sister shows my husband, that's why I'm here. Um, I almost feel at a wedding, it should say, you know, this compulsive overeating debtor and this <laughs> codependent deprivation addict are joining together. <laughs> and let's do them luck. He is extremely depriving while I am extremely over the top. Can't get enough of things. And so most of our, our big rages were at that and that I wouldn't stop with the debting and crazy spending and um so if he, I used to be afraid of his anger. I used to cry when he got angry. Menopause made me tougher. I really like that. I'm not, I'm not a liar, I'm not as I'm stronger and he's more sensitive now. But the switch his the tough number down, my the ultimate down. I five moments. Um so I've just grown up more and know that bottom line on faith and he's safe, and I'm just so grateful he's codependent. He should have left. I was engaged if I were him with the stuff that was happening. So I'm so grateful we did. Um, and my kids often, because they didn't hear us quite a lot, they often are, they just say it's such a peaceful home. We both value peace over everything in our home. So yeah, that's, that's the bottom line, I think. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for your share. Um, what tools do you know over the years of the program that, like, when you know you need a paradigm shift, you're like, this is not a good day, and you know, what tools, what steps, what things can you do, whether they're in the literature or just in the person, you know, this is going to tur
Well, I can tell you that if I'm ever in that place and I'm calling my sponsor, I have to change, and I have to change now, she'll say, not going to happen. If you're not doing this with your high power, it's not going to happen. So if I try to fix it myself, clean it up myself, um, it's the sponsorship that keeps me aware. I just a picture of these like fairy godmother wings and this big one going blink, blink. You know, just because that is so all over the place. So the tools are are repeatedly told to me. I don't I have amnesia of all what works. So they tell me that I need to do work on that or let go of that and that. It's the question of change. It doesn't come quickly. It comes when it's supposed to come. And I no character defect is lifted because I said, you know, on February second it's gonna be gone. It's lifted because I've done the work, it's ninety nine percent footwork, and the results are then beyond me. But I gotta do that work. That's the biggest issue in my entire life is the self learning. It's by far a form of torture that still happens. Um, and dark thoughts. And recently I shared some of them with my sponsor, things I've never shared with her before. And she said, I'd like you to call me the next time those thoughts come. Because I'll stay with them and they will they will grow. I mean, I, I fantasize about people I love. I'm at the funeral. No, I'm not shoveled and crying. I'm not crying. I can do crazy shit in there. And if I don't talk to somebody, It'll just keep going. And then it turns inward of what's wrong with you and why are you like this and why can't you be happy? And so um, self loathing is an addiction for me and it's not something that I have complete relief from, but I have moments. And if it weren't for coding, I only need one moment. Yes? Thank you for so much better. Yes. Yes. Tons and tons and tons. And to me, the combination of therapy, exercise, and program is, is the wellness that I have. Um, for the most part, because I didn't apparently understand anything, and they would just tell me to shut up if I tried to talk. So just, just having someone that will listen and not judge and be loving. Um, I have that from the sponsor, from therapy, from me. Um, yeah, without therapy, same thing. I mean, I, it's a combination of safety. It's safety. Yeah, definitely. We're done. <laughs>